0: everybody doing good it's good to see you this weekend i want to welcome the mobile campus foley campus bayman campus and also the two correctional facilities in atmore holman and fountain can we just give everybody a big hand thanks for choosing to worship with us this weekend we are excited about this series so we're going to spend eight weeks just focusing in on jesus and uh, we're going to grow together. We're going to learn a lot together. I, I really, uh, the song these guys did, I have to tell you a little bit about this song uh, that you heard uh, Pastor Jonathan at each of your, each of your campuses Introduce. Um, back in July, we did a, a we- first Wednesday and we taught on healing. And we had quite a few things happen that night. A lot of ministry, a lot of people heal. But something else happened while these guys... Uh, that are usually behind us during ministry time were worshiping and singing the Lord dropped this song into their hearts and just so that you know uh, it doesn't surprise me because around 18 years ago the Lord spoke into our hearts that from this church songs would be given to affect people around the world so that's just another example of how God not only heals but God also fulfills his word in speaking things to us so I want to say thanks to those guys for listening, and I think this song is really going to help us uh, to focus in on this series. Well, if you want to track along, you can. Uh, I'll be in Hebrews 2 and 4, and also I'll be in Mark 6. I I want to kind of give you the intro of why. Uh, Later on in the series, I'll I'll tell you the confirmation of why this series. In Thailand, when I was with uh, Chuck Quinley, who's a missionary, but he's also Uh, uh, an educated he's been a doctor of of, of a leader of an entire seminary we were talking about some things he made a statement about this when he found out what we were doing I'll share that later in the series but it was confirmation but I want to kind of give you an intro of why this series is so important so here's my feelings on it Christians have made uh, the gospel about so many things and and so many things other than Jesus Christ but Jesus is the gravitational pull that brings everything together for purpose and meaning in life. Uh, without Jesus, all things lose their value, and then they're detached pieces. So all these things that we have, they're detached, and they're floating around in our lives, and like in space. And so they, they, they're not fitting in where they need to be. Today, the person of Jesus in our culture has become increasingly politically incorrect, And it's being replaced by the language of justice, morality, values, and even leadership principles. The world likes Jesus, they just don't like the church. Let me remind you, who's the church? Okay. So, in the same statement, increasingly the church, us, we like the church. Us. And yet, our affection toward Jesus is diminished because of all the things we've attached to it. In other words, our problems really can be caused by something so simple and basic as losing sight of Jesus. If you read through the New Testament, there's an ultimate question that Jesus asked. And it is the ultimate question today. He said, who do you say that I am? That question is required for every generation to answer, but the you say is contextual. Every new generation is giving a you say. And if we get our you say wrong, then everything is wrong because Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Here's what that means. That means the beginning of all things and the end of all things. And Jesus said that when he is lifted up, when Jesus is lifted up, that he will draw all people to himself. But if we don't trust him to do what he says he'll do, or if we don't believe that he is who he says he is, then we'll never catch a glimpse of his glory that will be seen and felt on the earth. And, and Jesus is very clear. He, the only begotten son of God, Jesus, is the drawing card. No, nothing, you, you can do anything else, you can have anything else, but the true drawing card is Jesus Christ. Our mission as a believer in Christ is simply to lift him up in a context that our culture can understand and appreciate and our church we do that we serve we love people we give just because I mean you know missions and giving We, we do all of that and when we do that God takes care of the rest of it today in the 21st century that question who do you say that I am is not the only question the other question is simply this Jesus would ask you do you love me because we can't properly love him if we haven't caught sight of how incredible he was and is and will be but once we catch sight of Jesus yesterday today forever we will gladly exchange everything for the joy of becoming a walking and living epistle known and read of all men. There is a theologian in the 20th century Carl Barth and he's noted by many to say you know the most incredible of the 20th century once someone asked him to sum up his 12 volumes on church and he answered by repeating the line from the children's song Jesus loves me this I know but the Bible tells me so today we need an, a change in connection to our forgotten first love it's love that came not from an abstract principle out of an, but, but from an actual person. Jesus was an actual person who lived on this earth for a little over 33 years. The Bible doesn't just promise us eternal life, but it also promises us the gift of life lived through Jesus while on this earth. The Bible says we'll have 70 to 80 years on this earth, and we can have Jesus during that life. So watch how important Jesus is. The Father, the Holy Spirit the angels the scriptures the early apostles ministries all creation point their fingers to jesus the spotlight of heaven is on jesus the spotlight of the church should be on jesus you may be thinking okay pastor so give it to me practically what does this mean here's what it means the truth is jesus trumps everything All scripture testifies of him. The Father exalts him. The Holy Spirit magnifies him. The angels worship him. The early church knew him as their unction of their life. So there's only one reason a Christian would not be occupied and consumed with Jesus. It's because that person's eyes have not been opened to see his greatness. We need scales to fall from our eyes. We have too many things in front of us, too many things con- conflicting with what we're supposed to be the main thing, and, and, and we need the scales to, so we can see the greatness of our Lord. Then we will understand that he dwarfs every competitor. All these things in our life, they're, co- they're, they're competitors against him. But once you see him and his greatness, they're dwarfed. And when, we fully ocup- when we're fully occupied with Jesus, we will say, Christ is all I need and in having him, I have everything. In this series, this first message is about the carpenter. The carpenter. Have you ever thought about why he became a carpenter? And some would say that, know the Bible, well, his earthly father was a carpenter. Well, there's another reason. There's a theological reason, and it's called identification. There's an illusion of Theological of this theological principle today, and I'm going to show you that, and I can give you examples of this illusion of this theological truth of identification, and so I'll go kind of to the hot button that we love to talk about now is politics and politicians. Politicians use this illusion of identification. I'll give you just some examples, and I can remember this as, as a kid seeing this on TV, but a, a politician who's running for an office flies into a certain city, has a suit on, and goes and meets with the bankers, the CEO of a bank, and, and, he, and he says to these people, my father was a banker, so I understand you. I know what you're going through. I feel your pain. I'm on your side. Vote for me. <laughs> Then he leaves the bank and he gets in his plane and then he he changes and and puts on a a white coat and takes a hard hat and goes into a factory. And he goes into a factory and he meets with a group of leaders in that factory and he says, hey, my father's brother's uncle worked in a factory. Therefore, I understand you. I know what you're going through. I feel your pain. I'm on your side. Vote for me. Then he leaves and he flies to another city and he puts on some overalls and a straw hat and he goes and he stands beside a farmer near the combine in a soybean field and he says to the farmer, my, my father's sister's uncle's cousin on the farm. <laughs> Therefore, I understand you. I feel your pain and I'm on your side. That is the illusion of identification. It's a political strategy to get you to identify with people and people to identify with you. But I want you to understand something. Unless you have been a farmer, you can't identify with a farmer. Unless you know what it is to have a farm and work a farm. Unless you have worked in a factory, you can't identify with a factory worker. So this is a truth that Jesus fulfilled. But, but listen carefully. Our Savior did not settle for the illusion of identification. He didn't pose for 30 minutes with a group of people for pictures and sound bites with the Jerusalem news saying, Oh, I understand you. I feel your pain. I'm on your side. No, he was actually born in a manger, in a stable, inside of a mountain. He was a baby, a human, grew up, went to school, learned to be a carpenter. He lived life. He lived and he died on the earth. And this is where I want to pick up is in the book of Hebrews. So watch and follow along. Chapter 2, verse 14. And I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. And and, and I'll mix around different translations in this message because there are key words I want you to pick up on. So follow me because God's children are human beings. That's us. Made of flesh and blood. The son, Jesus, also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. The reason Jesus can say, I understand you, I know what you're going through, I feel your pain, and I'm on your side is because he was a carpenter. In other words, he was a human being. He was a human being on this earth. Well, well, how does that help us now? I mean, that's been 2,000 years ago. Well, look at chapter 2 in Hebrews, verse 17. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for in the for in himself he suffered being tempted he's able to aid those who've ever been tempted anyone here ever been tempted 42 of you this must be the highly sainted group jesus our lord was tempted and he's able to help those who have been tempted the good news is we just read about someone our lord who's able to aid those who are being tempted then in, in Hebrews 4, verse 15, listen to what he says. The writer, for we do not have a high priest who does not sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one but was all in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, not the throne of judgment, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. How many of you have ever had a need? Yeah, probably many of you have a need right now. Guess what? You can find help in time of need because you can come boldly to a throne of grace. You can come boldly because Jesus is a merciful, watch, sympathetic high priest. He understands because he has been a human being. It's like this, and, and you could pick just about anything, uh, in, in, in anything that's going on in your life, but let's just say that you have experienced cancer in your life, and you've been through the treatments, and you've overcome, and you've to someone, and you pick it up that they've been through that. All of a sudden, it's an instant bonding and sympathy because they've been through something you've been through. You can say to Jesus, Jesus, I have this need, or Jesus, I am tempted today in this area, and Jesus would say back to you, I understand i've been tempted there before too i i i I understand i've had that need before too well jesus did it did it make you feel like this and he would say yeah it made me feel just like that how how can that happen because he made propitiation now i know we don't use that word a lot you don't go around and say it was a wonderful propitiated day how was yours We we, we don't use that word, so let me just tell you what it means and let me show you how it applies to us. It simply means to completely satisfy the wrath, judgment, and justice of God. Jesus became the propitiation to satisfy the wrath, the the, the judgment, and the justice of God. Why? Because the blood of animals in the Old Testament could not satisfy, it only covered. So understand this, when we are a sinner... When we have not accepted Jesus Christ, God is, he's the offended party. When it comes to sin, he's the offended party. Why? Because he is totally perfect and righteous, and our sin has offended that righteousness. So if you picture the scales, if you would, our sin has tipped the scales of justice, and they, they can be tipped back to level. Not by animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, but because of Jesus Christ, because no animal sacrifice could get the scale back to level. So here's what happened. Our sin is on one side of the scales, and Jesus' righteousness is put on the other side. Therefore, God's judgment and wrath and justice has been completely satisfied in Jesus, and that is, watch, that is for all of your sin. All of your sin. In other words, that includes, if you happen to sin tomorrow, that includes that tomorrow. If you happen to sin in two weeks, that includes that. If it didn't include all of our sin, then Jesus would have to go back to the cross again and again and again. But it's already been paid for. If you, make, if you sin tomorrow, God is, if you are a believer and you sin tomorrow, and, and which a lot of us will, God's not mad at you he's grieved why because he doesn't want you to go down that road again but his wrath has been satisfied because of jesus and that's what the word perpetuation means and the reason that it's a throne of grace is because the one sitting on it jesus has been a human being and the perpetuation him giving his life that's all been taken care of but understand the reason it's a throne of grace is because he's been a human being and therefore he understands and he can extend grace that no one else can you understand so here's what happens Satan comes along he wants you to think that you're worse you're the worst one you're so bad you shouldn't even come to church I mean you shouldn't even come and sit with all these holy people look around this is the holy group you shouldn't come sit with all these perfect holy people but, but you see you, God wants you to know you're, you're, you're not as bad as you think you are because when you come to a throne of grace there's not judgment but there's sympathy Because the one sitting on the throne says, oh, I I know what it's like to live in a fallen world. I know what you're feeling. I understand. And you're doing better than you think. So he became a carpenter, a human, so we could identify with him. So here's what I want to do in this message, very simply, very quickly. I want to identify three big areas that he understands and can relate to you today. Here's the first one. Jesus understands relationships. Relationships. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, that you're going you're to see some of the family of Jesus in this, okay? In the next few verses. So watch. Then they scoffed. Jesus is sitting there teaching. And, and, and he's, he's just a carpenter. You're listening to this guy. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary. And the brother James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon and his sisters live here right among us, right around the corner. And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Now, in this text, he's called the son of Mary. That's out of line in the Hebrew, the way it would do. It should have been the son of Joseph. You would say the man. You wouldn't say the woman. I'll I'll tell you why. That's unusual. I'm going to come back to that at the end of the message. But let's talk about relationships. Jesus had four brothers. He had at least two sisters. and, And we know they got along perfectly. How many of you have kids? Come on. Don't be ashamed. Your kids get along perfectly, right? Never an argument. Never a squabble. Nothing. So, so, so did theirs. And so Jesus understood what it was like to have his brother duct tape him to the bed. I mean, he, he knew. He understood what it was like to have a sister who was the tattletale and went around and tell mom and daddy everything. He, he grew up in a family where everybody had to do chores. And, and, and then how many times did all of his brothers and sisters hear Mary, his mother, say, why can't you just be more like Jesus? <laughs> and think of all the pranks Jesus could have pulled they're at the swimming pool the community swimming pool and he's standing there on top of the water and said yeah y'all can do it come on (laughs) relationships watch watch because a lot of you are in this category right now he understands what it's like to be single if you're single jesus understands and somebody in the back of their mind says yeah but he doesn't understand marriage oh yeah you want to think about that you sure he doesn't have a wife The Bible talks about the bride of Christ, the church. Revelation 22 and one says, I will show you the lamb's wife. Well, he he doesn't know anything about children. Oh yeah, Jesus is God. You sure he doesn't know anything about having children? We're all his children. In fact, he knows what it's like, you probably don't. He knows what it's like to have disobedient children. You can't relate to that. Yours are all little perfect angels, right? He understands what it's like to have a family. He understands what it's like for his spouse to cheat on him. There's nothing you can't talk to God about he doesn't understand. And, And specifically about your marriage and your family. Let's go back to the story. Mark 3, verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. He's teaching. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. So there's a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who is my brother? (laughs) I'll show you the humor I see in that. My humor is weird, I know. Then he looked at those around him and he said, "Look, these are my brothers and my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of God's will is my brother and my mother." He's teaching a group of people in a room. They come in and say, "Hey, Jesus, your family's here." And in South Alabama, he would be saying, "That's not my family. Y'all, my family." Have you ever felt that way? Isn't that your brother? <laughs> That's not my brother. <laughs> isn't that your brother-in-law that is not my brother-in-law that's an alien okay that is not isn't that your sister no 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 well why 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 did he say it that way well why were they there in 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 mark 3 21 here's why they're there when his family heard what's happening he's teaching okay they tried to take him away let's go get him because he's out of his mind We, we would say he's crazy He used to be a good carpenter. Now he's talking to demons. He used to be a good carpenter. Now he thinks he's the Messiah. He's crazy. Has your family ever thought you were crazy? You don't know. You need to ask them. Because I know you have thought some of your family's crazy, and I'm sure they have thought the same thing. He's the crazy one. Relationships. Watch. Jesus knows what it's like to have friends, his closest friends mary martha and lazarus brothers and sisters and 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 these three people were his closest friends lazarus dies and jesus waits two days before he goes to to raise him from the dead and mary martha they they say the same thing to jesus lord if you had just been here you wouldn't have died and that's the way we think we said it and so but but he they could have been friends with an attitude well you, you you knew but you waited around and if you hadn't waited around you would have been here and then they posted all over Facebook you know look what he did and what he didn't do (laughs) he knew what it was like to have his closest friends desert him the disciples they leave he knew what it was like to be betrayed so here's my question for you my question is when are you going to talk to him about your relationships when are you going to talk to him about your marriage relationship your family relationship when are you going to talk to him about it? Because he understands all relationship problems. He understands completely. And he's at your beck and call. Number two, Jesus understands work. You may have to explain that word to your children. <laughs> Most children today do not understand that word. Work. He was a carpenter. It's kind, of, it's kind of like the dad that I heard tell the story that his teen had the first summer job and he goes and he works and he's coming home every day telling mom all these stories and he's telling mom, man, I cannot believe. Uh, he was shocked. that They asked him to work so much at work. And dad came home and said, that's why they call it work. Jesus understands what it's like to get up early and stay late. He was a carpenter He worked, he sweated, he worked long days. And we see all of these pictures of people who drew this beautiful setting of Jesus where he looked like an angel and he's wearing a robe. And I just wonder what he would look like today in jeans and a t-shirt with a tool belt. I I, I mean... (laughs) And let me go one more step. If he were here today, you'd see this. <laughs> if he were here today, he'd be all about City Hope, I'm telling you. That's what he looked like, not the robe. He was a carpenter longer, longer than he was a preacher. Watch, he was in the marketplace he was a businessman longer than he was in ministry. He was in ministry about three years, and he was probably went into his father's carpentry shop about 12. That would have been the custom then of the Jewish people. And so for 18 years, he's a carpenter. Three years, he's in ministry. And by the way, listen, when he drove a nail, he didn't have a nail gun. He drove a nail. When he cut a board, he didn't have a power saw. He cut a board. Jesus worked. He had calluses. He had blisters. He worked. He understood, watch, he understood that to own your own business, you also had to work. You had to labor in your own business, your own company. He knew what it was like to be a manager, to hire good people, the right people. To, and, and he understood what it was like to work with clients who do not know what they want. That, that'll slip through in just a minute. He understood what it was like to work with lost people who lied and cheated and broke contracts. He understood what it was like to work for Christians who lied and cheated and broke contracts. He understood what it was like to pay taxes. He understood what it was like for work to be slow, no income. So here's my question. When are you going to talk to him about your work? When are you going to talk to him about your job, your business? When are you going to talk to him and get his wisdom on the economy or a business strategy? When are you going to talk to him about how do I hire the right employees? Because listen, you're talking to everybody else about it. You're probably coming home and talking to your spouse about it. Why not talk to him? He'll understand. He'll understand. One of the greatest things about Jesus that, 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 that has to happen to us for us to see, the scales need to be removed Because he understands our work, our job, our business. He understands the challenges we face in the workplace. Why? Because the creator became the creation and lived out real life. And that is incredible. That's incredible. That's why he is the living savior. That's why he is the only one. The only one who can give you life, but he's the only one that can help you walk through life while you're on this earth. Thirdly, Jesus understands pain. Anyone ever had pain? He understands pain, and we all go through pain, and there are at least two types of pain. There's emotional pain and physical pain. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53 and 3, he's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. Grief is emotional pain. When when do you grieve? Well, we typically grieve when we lose someone. Verse 5 but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed he understood emotional pain and physical pain I'll, I'll give you some examples of emotional pain he was mocked because of his birth he's illegitimate yeah all you guys are following him but do you know he's illegitimate he has no identity he was mocked because of his race the sign on the cross, the king of the Jews, that wasn't to honor, that, that, that was to put down. That, that was mockery. He was ridiculed for his birth. <laughs> he says he's the son of God. Yeah, right. He was ridiculed for his circumstances around his birth. Hey, you know, I heard his mother, Mary, I heard she slept with Joseph before they got married, but Joseph said that's not his son. He was ridiculed for his hometown, Nazareth. Nothing good's coming to come out of there. That's just a nowhere place nothing good can come from that he was ridiculed for his occupation he's just a carpenter and you guys are believing he's a messiah he's just a carpenter he was ridiculed and mocked until his last breath and and if you are the son of god you need to save yourself if you are you need to come down from that cross he was ridiculed and mocked by the very people that he healed he was ridiculed and mocked by the people he fed and took care of and taught the word of god to the same people that wave palm branches on wednesday on thursday they're shouting crucify him people hurt him emotionally and physically until the last breath of his life let's look at physical pain he he understands physical pain and most of us know the story i don't have to go into a lot of detail but do you know that there are three different garrisons of guards that beat him the Jewish guards, Herod's guards, and Pilate's guards all beat him, and they all used different methods. Some used their fists, some, some used rods, some would take the crown of thorns. And listen, when they put the crown of thorns on his head, it wasn't like the little dramas we've seen where they just placed it there. No, they put it there, and they beat it down with rods. They plucked his beard from his face. They finally nailed him to a cross until he died. In fact, he understands physical pain to the point where you could actually say he was tortured to death. He understands all pain. So here's my question. When are you going to talk to him about your pain? Because he understands physical and emotional pain. And listen, he understands even our deepest pain. And I really felt like I needed to address this this weekend in every message because he understands our deepest pain. Let let me, let me show you what I mean. I mentioned this earlier. In the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when the crowd came and talked to him when he's teaching, the phrase was used isn't this the son of Mary? which is not typical, it should have said the son of Joseph but they say the son of Mary in another instance in John, another story while Jesus is teaching, the crowd said who is this teaching? Isn't this the son of Joseph? well let me explain the difference John records the first two years of Jesus' ministry while Matthew, Mark and Luke record the last year yeah but they come first in our Bibles they do but chronologically it's not that way Okay, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke write about the third year of Jesus' ministry. John writes his book, watch, after all the disciples have been martyred. They're all dead. And he's, he's reading this later on. He reads Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke's versions, and they're good, but they record the last year of Jesus' ministry. So what John does is John writes about the first two years of Jesus', Jesus ministry because there's no record of it. And so that's why in John you, you have all of these things that are not in the other three Gospels. That's why the other three Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels, which means familiar, similar. So in, in John, that's why you have the story of the water turned into wine. It was in the first two years, the, the conversation with Nicodemus. The, the, the woman at the well, the, the, the man at the pool of Bethesda, the, 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 the blind man, Lazarus. That's why you have that story in John. All the gospels start with the birth, end with the crucifixion, but the ministry part, as I want you to see, is because Matthew and Mark say, this, isn't this the son of Mary, and, and that's the third year of his ministry, but John is recording the first two years of his ministry, and he says, isn't this the son of Joseph, Why did he say it that way? Watch watch where I'm going. Do you know, you probably do, you know that on the cross while Jesus is dying, there's seven things that he says, seven different phrases. One was when he looked at John, the beloved, the youngest disciple, he's there. Jesus knows, because he knows everything, John is going to outlive everybody else. So he looks at John and says, behold, Mary, your mother. Jesus is about to die. He looks at John and says, okay, Mary's going to be your mother now. He said to his mother, Mary, behold John, and it says from that time on, Mary went home to live with John, and she lived with him until she died. Now, that that would be a strange thing if Mary's husband, Joseph, were still alive. He's not alive, but there's no mention of him in the Bible dying, but there are historical documents of the day that said Joseph died during Jesus' ministry. He probably died in those first two years where John was there and he's writing about it. Why is that important? Because it's this way. Have you ever lost someone close to you? A mom, a dad, a child, a brother, a sister. Jesus now understands because he knows what it's like to put his arm around his mother and take her home from the grave of her sweetheart he understands but watch this happened during his ministry that tells me then that Jesus could have raised Joseph his earthly father from the dead but he didn't why because he experienced the death of a loved one too so he could be fully sympathetic as a high priest to each of us in our grief. We can handle a lot of things, but when we lose a loved one, this thing of, of grief and all of this, it's heavy, it hurts. And he says, Listen, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna know every facet of pain. I'm gonna have experienced every piece of pain, pain. So when you go through it, I'll be there to help you and comfort you so that he can be that sympathetic high priest for you when you go through that. So let me ask you this. While I've been talking, what's the Holy Spirit been saying to you? Because he does. When when, when I'm talking and I'm speaking and teaching, Holy Spirit just puts things in your heart, in your mind. What's he been saying to you through this message? Not not just about the principles. Some people just want the principles and the knowledge. No, about, about the application to my life. What's God saying to you right now? Well, let me tell you what all of us should be saying. All of us should be saying, "Thank you Jesus the carpenter." Because you can identify with us as humans. Thank you Jesus because of that you understand everything I'm going through. In other words, I can talk to you about it today. And tomorrow and forever. So, whatever I'm going through right now, and whatever I'm going to go through in my life, because our life has seasons. We grow, our kids grow, things happen. Age comes in, sickness, all all of these things happen. And Jesus is letting you know that every season of your life, whether it's your job, whether it's relationships, whether it's your marriage, whether it's the death of a loved one, whatever you're going through, you can come to me because I have been a human and I can relate to it and I can give you the words that you need to comfort you and help you through whatever you're going through. We should say, thank you, Jesus. It wouldn't be a bad thing to do. Can we just say that out loud? Thank you, Jesus. Now listen, as we end this service, as we do in all services, we want to pray for you. And if you're going through any type of difficulty, and a lot of people are, if you need prayer for any area of your life, we want to pray for you. At every campus, at both correctional facilities, We want to pray for you if you're going through difficulties. And if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we want to help you meet him and find him and put him in your life. So let me say this. This service isn't over until you're dismissed by the host pastor. The host pastor would dismiss you. So we're creatures of a habit, and I have to touch this every once in a while. So until you're dismissed, don't move around. Don't slip out and leave trying to beat the crowd, get out of the parking lot. Let me tell you why. Because this is the most important service. We've been going for about 70 minutes, and the most important part of this service is right now. Because people are thinking. People are praying. People are talking deciding. Do I, do I go for prayer? Do I, do I accept Jesus Christ? And if you get up and move, it is a distraction. It's a distraction. Well, they won't see me. It's a distraction in the spirit too because you're not respecting what's going on right now. Are you understanding the words coming out of my mouth? I'm trying to be gracious and kind. If you need prayer for any area of pain, any area of relationship anything about your job your career your finances I want to tell you something Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever and he is the only one who can help you everything else you gather can be aspects of wisdom But the aspect of real life can only come from Jesus Christ. And you can go through wisdom and you can do all of the things in the natural. But I promise you, if you want to expedite this and you want to get to where you need to go, if you'll pull Jesus into the mix and you'll have a conversation with him and you'll talk to him about what's going on in your life, I promise you, he will change your life. He will give you the answers. He'll meet your need. He'll heal your pain. He is Jesus and there is no other. There is nothing in this world you're going through that he can't help you with. Yeah, but I'm young, even more so. I'm about to get married, even more so. I just got married. Oh, you need a lot of Jesus. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. I'm just telling you, you need to meet Jesus. You need to get all these things out of the way. We need to put Jesus in the center of this. And then he'll fit all the things in their right place. Nothing wrong with the things. They're just distractions. But he'll fit them together. He'll join them together so that you can enjoy the fullness of the life that Jesus offers us on this earth until we go to see him in heaven. I want to pray for you. Holy Spirit. I ask you to speak to people in this room and every, every setting that's listening, even those online in the campuses, in the correctional facilities. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you'll go beyond speaking to them now and that you will draw every person who has a prayer need, you'll draw them to receive prayer and to meet you now.